With the COVID-19 virus closing down universities and colleges worldwide, instructors are frantically transitioning face-to-face -face courses to online. To give you some encouragement and tips, we're sharing our interview with Tierney Bakarsi. Tierney is in the Department of Special Education at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And working within a state that spans eight islands in the Pacific Ocean, she knows a few things about utilizing online resources to instruct and prepare teacher candidates. Whether you're just trying to survive social distancing, have a keen interest in online education, or want to know what it's like to teach in paradise, I know you'll find her insight useful. So let's jump right into my conversation with Tierney. Tierney, we're so glad that you're here with us because I'm sure all of our listeners have dreamed about working and living in Hawaii, but I'm sure the reality is a bit different from the lived experience. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the University of Hawaii, how it's similar to probably programs that are in Midwest or East Coast, United States, and how it's unique? It really is paradise. Uh, when people ask what is the weather like, it really is wonderful. It's generally speaking, always perfect. Um, I think we're voted every year um, as having one of the most beautiful campuses. Um, and I wouldn't say it's because of the architecture, the buildings, or even the resources necessarily, but definitely walking outside and around the grounds. It is one of the most, Manoa is one of the most beautiful places um, in the world. That being said, I'm almost never there <laughs> because I'm at home all the time. Um, and I think um, one of the things that we've gotten to be very good at at the University of Hawaii is um, making sure that we are serving remote or rural areas because we're an unusual state in that we're completely spread out. And so the University of Hawaii at Manoa is our major university. Um, and it's a research one university. It's a land grant, sea grant, air grant university. Um, and so typically all of the students, um, if they're not going away, are moving over to Oahu. Um, we also have other universities on other islands. And so for example, I went to the University of Hawaii at Hilo for my undergrad. And it feeds in directly with, and so do all the community colleges, they all feed in directly with the UH system. So everything is very connected and we all, I think, work quite well together. Do you feel like there are any challenges that come with your landscape being so unique? Are there any specific challenges that your College of Education faces? Yes. Um, so I'm also a doc student. <laughs> um, and so I can tell you from firsthand experience, one of the challenges that um, we face here in Hawaii is in order to attend your state university um, to go for higher education that's not accessible to you. If the program is not online, you have to go there face to face. And so you either need to pick up and move, which then kind of begs the question of if you have to pick up and move your family, would you stay in state or would you go somewhere else, right? Because you now have all of these different opportunities. Um, and if you want to stay in state, and a lot of times we do because it's to move away across an ocean, across a continent is, is difficult. Um, then we either need to move to Oahu or we need to fly out. And so, for example, every week I fly out to go to my classes at UH Manoa which is an added expense every single, because that's not something that you're, uh, it's not folded into the cost of tuition and it's not something that you would be able to do um, financial aid for. So how does student teaching and uh, field work with 
your with teacher education then? Because normally you try, you know, going out to different school districts and if school districts go to different islands, how do you manage that? So um, we have a field placement coordinator that basically keeps in touch with all of the schools across the state. Um, the state of Hawaii is unique in that our we're the only state that is one system. So we don't, our districts are part of our state system, um, which is really nice. It has its pros and its cons, just like I think the other systems. Um, but in terms of collaboration and communication makes it quite easy to kind of keep similar systems in place. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I get to live on the big island because we have a high population of students that are going to school online through our programs that are half online, um, partially face-to-face. And then field supervision, they get to stay in their communities that they live in and do their student teaching there. With the students that you have on your island, do you still do a lot of in-person observations or do you still do it remote? Because an island still is rather large, right? It is. um, And I live on the big island. (laughs) So so, uh, to travel between it is um, about two and a half hours from side to side. And um, so we try to, but there are field supervisors that we're flying all over between different islands. And so um, I don't fly as much because I live off island, but there are field supervisors that are on Oahu that do need to fly um, to the other islands. Um, And some are very remote. There are some places where you can only get to it um, by treacherous car ride or by plane. Um, By plane? By plane, yeah. So the road to Hana, I don't know if you've heard about that. That's on Maui. Yes. Um, Yeah. So, and if you go by plane, for example, there's no rental car agency there. So your student has to pick you up, (laughs) take you, and then you're there all day until they're done working. And then take you back on a plane. Um, And so it makes it difficult to be productive with your time, right? If you're having to travel all over the place. So one of the things that came in um, last semester as a pilot for us was GoReact. And GoReact allowed us to um, have the students situate a camera while they're teaching. And we could be there live. We could be there pre-recorded afterwards, but we could also be there live. And I could give feedback directly as the lesson was going. I could tag everything. So all of the things I would manually do, um, which were important, but I would manually have to do, manually calculate how many times they did this strategy or whatever. Um, I could just tag them and I could align it directly to my rubric. I could then schedule a time to debrief with them in our typical online environment that we already had. The better part, I think, beyond just the convenience for me and the increase, the exponential increase in my productivity with reducing travel time was um, when I was debriefing in conversations with my students, they could, I could say, oh, you know, well, how do you think that this went? And they're like, they could say, oh, you know, I wish I did something better or I wish I had a data collection sheet because this behavior came up and I would have liked to be able to track some of that. And I could say, well, you can because we have it (laughs) recorded. And so part of the, what I want you to do in terms of reflecting on your teaching is go back and take a look at the lesson, not just how, I saw it through my eyes in the debrief with you, but you can actually see one, how I saw it because I'm tagging it all along the way and giving you feedback at the direct time that it happened. 
But you can also see it from another set of eyes, which is the camera's eyes, and start collecting some of that data to drive your instruction beyond just how do you think it felt or how it went. And that has made the future lessons just so much easier to target specific things that I want to work on with my students. The Teacher Education Podcast is brought to you by GoReact. GoReact is currently used by 500 universities nationwide to conduct online assignments and assessments. With GoReact, you can record and give feedback remotely to students demonstrating new teaching methodologies or for student teaching observations. To see how GoReact can make online learning easier and more effective for you, visit goreact.com teachers. That's G-O-R-E-A-C-T dot teachers. It sounds like you live in such a unique place that you've really uh, developed some amazing technology, like uh, adopted some amazing technology and a different way of doing things if you're all connected, you know, throughout all the islands. I noticed about a third of the courses that you've taught are online. And I read that you completed a six-week course through the University of New South Wales for learning to teach online. And it's becoming a much more important topic. So as an expert kind of on teaching online, do you have any advice for professors that are trying to improve their online courses? Yes, um, I think I've taken the same perspective that I had, whether it was face-to-face or online, but I, I merged it over online. And that's, if you're bringing everyone together, if you're bringing students to come together and, you know, adults, where they could read the material and for the most part could understand it and could apply it, then there's no point in regurgitating that information, right? They're adults. They should have been able to read it and make sense of it. And if I'm dragging everybody at night after they've all worked all day long and they're exhausted, then it has to be incredibly meaningful for them. And it has to go beyond what I could do in a one-on-one phone call with them. And so I want them working together. I want them collaborating together. I want them engaged with their peers as much as possible. And that was um, something that I was really, it was important for me when I was doing um, adult learning outside of online and became even more important when I moved online, but became more difficult because of, you know, when you you move everybody into breakout rooms, it's easy to kind of meander through the room and listen in on the discussions. But then when you move them into breakout rooms, they go into their own very separate quiet room. And so then you pop in like this supreme being in their classroom and they all kind of like stop like, oh no, she's listening, where before you were in their periphery. And so they always kind of knew you were there. Um, So you also have to develop a sense of culture and relationship in your online environment that really, I feel works, you have to work so much harder than in person. Um, So that's one big thing that I think is really important to me in moving online. How do you develop that culture so they don't feel like you are imposing on them when you joined their peer sessions? I don't know. (laughs) And I think every semester it's different because they're different. Um, So last semester, for example, I had um, a really small group. And I think it's harder with small groups. Um, I like big, lots of classes, lots of students, lots of discussion. And I had about four students. And, um, you know, it 
the, after the first class, I was like, wow, you know, you guys didn't smile or laugh. Like, I laugh at my own jokes. I, I really hope that you guys start laughing. And it took them about to like mid-semester until they started laughing and joking. And I was like, yeah, okay, now we can have some fun. <laughs> um, and even the, you know, sometimes there's there are just boring topics and there are just really boring classes. And sometimes I, I have like content-wise where it's like, oh, we got to get through this. I'm going to get through it with you guys. Um but it really is just like any other relationship. You just kind of have to find that ebb and flow of it and try to see what's going to work with everybody. And not everything is going to work with everybody. So you have to adjust. You cannot expect your audience to adjust. I like that, having that marker. So you know when you finally um, arrived at a moment where you and your students can connect. Any other thing else that you can, uh, for tips of how to teach better online? Be available as often as you can. And and um, the thing that I tell all of my students at the very beginning is most of them in our program are second career. Um, and so they're working all day or they're emergency hired teachers because we have such a major shortage. And when they are working all day, they're getting online to do their homework um, or get onto class, right? And so it's the evening. And right when you're sitting down to class, that's when you're thinking about everything. And so you suddenly have questions for your instructor because you want clarification. And then you send an email. I usually don't get it till the next morning if I'm checking my email, which means you don't get a response, which then means 24 hours later you can do your assignment, which is really difficult because once you're in the flow of something, you want to keep going. And so having this this type of alternative schedule makes it difficult for the students. And so I think in terms of advice that I have just learned is, um, and you have to consider your own boundaries with that, right? But if what I tell my students is if, if you have a question, I really don't care what time of day it is um, or when it is, go ahead and call me or text me. If I am available, I will pick up the phone and answer it. And if I am not available, I'm just not available. And so you'll get an answer within 24 hours. Uh, but usually I'm I'm a night owl at work anyway. And so at around, if they're text messaging at 10 o'clock, they'll get a response back typically. And I think my students really appreciate that because they're on an alternative program, which means an alternative schedule. And me being available to help answer whatever questions they have just makes, I think, the whole online environment easier to move through. That makes a lot of sense. And maybe it actually is another way of building uh, a better relationship with online students who you don't have physical presence with, right? Um, just allowing them that uh, your personal phone number. Yeah. And the the other thing that I just realized is, it is it's also Hawaii. And so with every student that I have, unless they're not from here, um, there is some way I'm connected to them through a family, a friend, a neighbor, a cousin, somebody bought the same dog, or, you know, there's always just some <laughs> connection you can find here in Hawaii. I have a question that's talking about the future. Now, I'm not going to um, require you to be an accurate soothsayer, but imagine we're 10 years in the future. What would be different in teacher preparation programs? <sighs> How much time do you have? I, I, <laughs> I know that everything will be moving definitely online in terms of just where the world is going. And I do hope that um, in teacher prep, we're able to adjust to 
that movement and also learn and change the way that we do our engagement strategies and it's a different set of kids that are coming up and how they are engaged and their adults coming up right and so i think teacher prep is going to change how it changes i i don't i i couldn't tell you but i'm excited about the changes everything that comes along i i just sit there going oh what can i play with this new tool or how can i get that new tool and could we integrate this new tool and i think the other difficulty in all of that is finding the time to be able to sit and practice embedding all of these pieces in because whenever I do, it's always this this slow start with a lot of problems and a lot of frustrated students. <laughs> and me apologizing, say, okay, you guys, we're gonna get this better next time. Like, let's just see how it works. And it usually works out. One of the final questions I wanna ask you, we ask all of our guests on the podcast, and it is, if you had a magic wand to change one thing about teacher education in the United States, what would it be? I think creating a space where, uh, and I, I just don't know how this would happen in terms of time and money, right? But for me, what I would really benefit from is just having the same observational feedback cycle. Um, and we have access to it at UH. So it's not, it's certainly not something that's not already there. Um, but like I can contact the Teaching and Learning Center and say, hey, can you guys observe my classroom? Can you survey my students? What could make me a better teacher? What could, um, you know, but I think even beyond that, the ability to have consistent PLCs like K-12 teachers do where you get to course plan and really look at and and it's time and money that I think really are the reasons why those things don't happen um, as frequently as I would like. That's an interesting answer. I wasn't expecting that. It's oh. really insightful. We also do a bit of a lightning round. Have you ever heard of a lightning round when you've listened to a podcast or something like that? No, and I'm feeling like this is speed. This is going down the route of speed dating, so I'm a little nervous. No, 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 no speed okay. dating involved. Okay. <laughs> so basically, what it is is I'm just going to pump a few questions at you, and okay. I want you to do one word or one sentence answers. Favorite conference to attend. Oh, TED, um, Teacher Education Division by the Council for Exceptional Children, the best. The best movie you've seen in the past year? Um, so I don't get to see movies, but um, every once in a while, and I don't have cable TV, but every once in a while I'll watch Netflix, and I've just been watching The Witcher. Your most trusted teaching resource? My most, right now it's Go React. <laughs> right now, um, I, she, I call her, she, she's my best friend. Um, she's made it very easy for me to do different things. Um, and so we've been getting along very well for a while now. And one piece of advice you would give to newbies in special education? Um, newbies as in pre-service teachers? Mm-hmm. That... Um, Everything that you do really should always be, is what I'm doing making a difference? And what evidence do I have for that? Okay. 100 out of 100, you did great. <laughs> you passed the lightning round. <laughs> yes, yes. Are there any questions that I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk, like anything you wanted to talk about, any words of wisdom you wanted to impart? One of the things that you asked were three pieces of advice to give someone starting a career in teacher preparation. I don't know that I have three pieces of advice, but I do have one in terms of if you're starting a career in teacher prep. And it's it's something that I feel really strongly about that um, 
you know, as a as a teacher of um, teacher candidates, I think when I first started, I got a little lost in they're my client and they're the person that I want to make sure is at the forefront of my mind. And they are at the forefront of my mind. Um, but one of the things that I kind of reconnected with and re-came back to is um, as a person in teacher preparation, the person that's at the forefront of my mind is always that K-12 student who actually doesn't have a voice to advocate for themselves. And when I'm looking at teacher candidates and their readiness, I'm not just looking at their readiness in terms of the skills that you can read um, and you can learn about. I'm also looking about at the professional dispositions of this person who's going to be alone with children. Um, and the most vulnerable population of children, right? Students with disabilities. And so um, always keeping that in mind that my client really at the end of the day, when I call myself a teacher is that that child in K-12 education with a disability. Um, and that really helps me focus and center the way I design my coursework, the way I design the engaging activities that I'm trying to do with my adult learners and always bringing them back to who that child, that vulnerable population is. That's a wonderful purpose and way of looking at being a supervisor. I really love that. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. If you like what you heard, please rate and review this podcast to help others find us. The Teacher Education Podcast is brought to you by GoReact. This episode was hosted by me, Hilary Gamblin, and produced by Daniel Burt, Joseph Winter, and Jordan Harris. Chad Jardine is our executive producer. Guests on the podcast are expressing personal opinions for informational purposes only. They're not acting as official representatives for their universities or organizations.